Have you ever wondered who's responsible for the songs you hear on the radio? Thousands upon thousands of artists pour their hearts and souls into work that most people will never know even exists. What separates the hits? Every week, I sit down with the songwriters responsible for some of the biggest songs that sweep the world to find out, how did they get there? What was their journey? My name is Gary Young, and this is The Big Break. So, part two. The story, the saga of Bruce Wayne. Now, where we left off, you had just, you'd moved to Los Angeles, you'd built this community out of this, out of this house in the hills, basically, and, uh, and then something, something wicked this way comes, something bad was about to happen, right? Like, what, what was about to happen? I don't know, I think you said something about a lawsuit, and the, and, and the fight, and uh, there's, that's where, so I got a list of all the things you told me to ask you about <laughs> for this part too. <laughs> got you. So, so actually, well, maybe we, we, maybe share with the listeners, give the listeners a little sort of recap. So, so you guys had just moved to Los Angeles because you wanted to get into basically the, the R&B scene and some more pop stuff. Yeah. And, and, um, and maybe we take it from there. Yep. Um, I, my um, partner, Swift, he, um, he motocrosses. Okay. So he broke his back, actually. Oh, no. That's what happened. He broke his back. And we were, like, back and forth. But... At that time, he couldn't travel. He couldn't do anything. Yeah. I would usually only stay for, like, no more than, like, a week or two. I would never stay in L.A. that long. I was like, L.A. is too Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, I can't take a cab anywhere. There's no trains. <laughs> I can't go to a bodega. <laughs> no, you can't walk around unless you want people to think you're crazy. All that stuff. Yep. So I was like, but with him being there, I had to stay a little longer. Okay. So, and then I just started hanging out more. And then I st- we started to realize, like, a lot of our work was coming from L.A. at that time. Okay. You know? So I was like, okay, how do I, what do we do? Yeah. So I just buckled down. So we started working more. So now we're in California. Yeah. And then, you know, we just made it our home base. Okay. And then we saw, and we wanted to, um, we noticed that all the studios were super expensive, like studios, like Chalice Studios, a mm-hmm. lot of studios that were like really stuck that no one was really using, but were coming up at the time. Mm-hmm. We're, because we thought Hollywood was the place to be. And we were like, let's get a house. Our realtor connected us with um, Glenn Ballard. Okay. Just renting his house. Glenn Ballard, he's producer. He did records like Man in the Mirror for Michael Jackson, Jagged Little Pill. So when we rented the house, it had everything in it already. Nice. Put our equipment in it and stuff like that. And then, um, yeah, we got Sony, our publisher, to um, you know help us, you know, pay for it. Oh, that's nice. And then we just went in. We just buckled down. I think we made the best music of our life. But around that time, we, you know, um, when I was doing the records, eventually, when I was telling you I was selling records independently and had an investor. Yep. He just one day he just he just sued me. Oh, uh, he came back. This he came is, out of nowhere. He said I left them in the dungeon to rot. <laughs> what? I was like, okay, whatever. 
so so then he comes out of nowhere. You're in California now, and and what I mean, what did he what did he want? I mean, money obviously, right? But uh, he he wanted to kind of like be a part of Midi Mafia. He was like, uh, I want to be a part of this. I, I need this. I deserve this. Without me, you wouldn't have this. And I was like, What the fuck are you talking about, bro? Yeah. To work these records, like. I'm a music producer. Has nothing to do with me. Yeah. You know what I mean, like, like me producing has nothing. It's just two separate things. Yeah. So that, you know, I was in there for five years. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't. I couldn't buy a house. I, I couldn't even buy a car. I couldn't do anything. Yeah. Because if I would have bought anything, it would have been. Um, it would have been a part of whatever our settlement. Yep. Yeah. So what what advice would you give to to a producer, artist or songwriter that's in a position like that that like what what do you do uh what did you learn from coping and dealing with that that lawsuit? I think around that time we me me and Swift learned a lot like um it brought up um a lot of things it brought up like health insurance. Yeah. You know, it brought up like health insurance like we had insurance, but it wasn't like insurance. We didn't. We weren't like thinking about that. You were just like you guys were young and invincible. Nobody. I'm gonna live forever. Yep. Yep. Pay for the doctor when I got the money. I'll just go pay for that shit when I need it. You know, we mm-hmm. didn't have certain things set up, and then um, and then you're trying to figure out that stuff while you're yeah. about the accident. Yeah. Then we learned a lot about the music industry, where like if we had some of our music go through unions, a lot of the costs, we would have had insurance automatically through the music through the music industry, through the unions. Uh-huh. As an urban music producer, no one tells you to sign up to those things or whatever. He could have had his whole entire surgery taken care of, everything. What? And that's through the SAG-AFTRA, AFM? You know, as a producer, you're in sessions, you're doing what you want to do, but the record labels and um, and people, they don't want you going through the union because you, they have to pay a lot more. Union union rates, you know, like, I mean, the unions, it's higher. And because and record labels, we're not going to pay you this and pay you that, you know, so it was just like, but we didn't know. So we learned a lot about that. We learned about how the music industry could really work in your benefit if you do things a certain way. It doesn't really matter these days, but at that time it could have, you know. Mm-hmm. Then with the lawsuit, um, I learned like don't leave any anything untied. Tie that shit up before you move to the next thing. Yeah. Even if it means that you gotta go to war on certain things, because you never know what your future. You never know what your future is gonna actually hold for you. Like I didn't know that I would be a music producer. I thought I didn't even know I was a music producer. Yeah, you you already were, right? Yeah. <laughs> making beats, yeah. We doing what we got to do. I got to make it happen. I didn't know that it was actually producing music. I'm guiding this. I'm 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 leading the I'm leading the charge. You know, so yeah. you know. And so that that part, because I, I I feel like at the at the time, you know, you you'd sort of you're like, okay, I'm I'm getting out of here, right? And you just cut ties, right, with with the original investor. And, um, and then I think that temptation is there. It's, it's easy if you can put some distance between you and, and the person where the conflict is going to be, but then 
they're going to come back and come after you when your future turns out to be much bigger than they thought. I don't want to, I don't want to put that much thought into it. I just think that in America, people can sue you for anything. Yeah. And, um, again, just like have you, how you have health insurance, your business has insurance. Mm -hmm. I learned that I could have had certain things set up that like, if I do get sued, that insurance will cover it. It's called, um, what is it called? Omissions and um, I forgot what the policy is called. Yeah. Owen, Owen, Owen A, I think it's. Um, can't remember the name of it offhand. Yeah. We'll put it in the show notes. We'll look it up and put that in the show notes for people. Like Owen A or something yeah, like yeah. that. Omission, whatever it is. But what it does is allows you to pay a certain amount of money monthly, yearly for your business that if anything comes out of nowhere, it'll cover it. Now, if, that, if I would have had that, I'd have been, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. then when you shove, but when you, you know, when you, when you're doing litigation, people suing you, that's litigation. Yeah. Super expensive. And you know, you got to drop 50 grand or you get an injunction and you can't work. You're like, what? What the fuck? Yeah. And you're like, this person doesn't really have a right to sue me, but people can sue you for anything. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, and I learned that the hard way and I learned that like, oh, like in the UK, if somebody sues you and they lose, they're they got to cover all the expenses. So people think very closely about if they're going to sue you or not. Yep. So someone's, and what that does is it makes people, if somebody wants to sue you, they got to like, you I really, I'm going to win. So I don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sue this motherfucker. Yo. Yeah. It's like, let me take my chances. Yeah. Cause there's no downside. And, and then, you know, and then, and then part of your settlement, if you do get a settlement, you, more than 90, 90% of the time, people settle. No one actually goes to court. Yeah. And I should have done that. I should have went to court. Mm. Just learned a lot of things like, you know, like I, I, a lot of things I did, I probably would never do again. Okay. I just kind of figured it out, you know? Yeah. So, so maybe, so the lessons there, right? Get insurance, health insurance, business insurance, and tie things down and get them. Don't leave any loose ends. I think that's a part of tying things up, like tying yeah. things up. Like, all right, I'm leaving the situation. I move forward. How do I make sure that I, I'm really covered? Yeah. That's what insurance is. It's not really about if something happens. It's not about you think something's going to happen. It's more about if something happens. So yeah. it's like part of tying it up too makes sense and you know that adversity pushed us back a lot you know we worked and we did stuff but not not as hard as we could have you know Mm -hmm. you know like you know because we were very competitive you know and always doing things like very ahead of the curve with everyone we were always ahead so when that happened it didn't slow us down it's just that we just couldn't do the things we really wanted to do Mm mm-hmm I mean, we just couldn't do it. You know, Swift couldn't travel the way we were traveling. You know, we couldn't, we just couldn't do shit, you know? Yeah. He was kind of always a little more stationed at home and mixing and stuff like that. Where in time, he needed to be certain places. And he couldn't. And with me doubling down, doing more work and doing more business because I, I have to kind of wear two hats and he's more stationary, I, I didn't make as much music as I wanted to, you know? I was always fighting with it, like, oh man, I gotta do this music. 
fuck, I gotta go make sure that gets out. Yeah. Oh, shit. I gotta go to a doctor's. He broke his back. It's yeah. not yeah. like, you know, it's like he broke his arm or he did, broke he his did, back. He didn't get a cold. It was bad. <laughs> it was Damn, how the fuck you deal with this shit? <laughs> yeah. So it was, oh it, was a little, it was a little weird, you know what I mean? So, but, but it's cool. You know, we're good now. Yeah. But it forced us to think a lot differently because um, when you're handicapped, right? Like we're like handicapped. Yeah. You're figuring out how you do the things you normally do that you have to do every day, but you're but impaired. Yeah. To even think a little bit more out the box because it was like, well, we can't really do that. We can't do this. So yeah. How do we do that? Yep. Let's do this. <laughs> like, you yeah. Know? Now, what's an example of that? That like uh, that you, where you guys thought outside the box because of the constraints, because of the, the handicaps. Like when we were working with um, when we were working with uh, Frank Ocean um, around that time, mm-hmm. we started. Um, we learned about YouTube, and we were like, "Oh, we heard about monetization. We heard about this. We heard about that." And then we were like, "Okay," and then Frank, people kept talking to us about it. One because a lot of the creators wanted to use our house, the house we were in, as like a backdrop, and also they needed music that didn't infringe any copyright. Okay. We were looking at it like this guy got 10 million views on this and a million followers. Yeah. The money, we, and then we'll see. We literally see how much money these guys are making, and we were like, "I should be making music for these artists, or I should be making music for this." And then we had Frank Ocean at the time, and he was working on Nostalgia Ultra. So we were like, and then Flowrider was out around that time. So music was really weird with mm-hmm. the rank shit and the singles everything was transitioning at the time so it was like i don't want to i don't really make dance music so i'm gonna go make dance music four on the floor <laughs> like like only four on the floor music i know is reggae music you know like mm-hmm. but it was like we don't really make that so i'm gonna go make a bunch of music that Florida would do for everybody like that's not really my thing you know mm-hmm. i could have we could have but that wasn't like I don't want to switch my whole shit up. Yeah. And we didn't, and I didn't know if it was a trend. It felt like a trend. Yeah. Everybody dance shit. It was just like, I don't know. So it was like, oh, wait a minute. Let's work over here because we can make music for these guys, make money from YouTube, and we could do brand deals and monetize. And it, we didn't know that's what it was back then. But no. monetization was a very new thing, you know? So it was yeah. like, they just cut me a check for 20 grand to do this shit for Cosmopolitan uh, magazine. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's, and then it was like, or I could sit here and make a bunch of music and pitch to all of <laughs> these artists. Don't know if I'm going to get in it. And then I don't know how I'm paying my bills. Yeah. It's a couple of months. Seems like an easy, seems like an easy choice. At, at least at that point with you, with where you and Swift were at, you know? Yeah. Like, and then, you know, and then it kind of made us kind of be like artists indirectly because we were like, no one we knew would want to do it. So Swift was like, yo, Bruce, why don't you just rap and just fucking just do it? And I'll DJ and call it a fucking day. And I was just like, all right, whatever. <laughs> 100%, whatever. Yeah. I can write. I'm a writer. So he was yeah. like, Bruce, why just write it and just do it? I was like, all right, cool. And I just did it. And then it worked. <laughs> like It was like, we started getting, we made so much money just on some like, 20 grand in, 15 grand in, yeah. 50 there, 40 there. 
And then, and all we're doing is doing what we do every day, but we're giving it to a different audience. Now, how did you, so was it, was it Frank that brought, like Frank Ocean that brought up YouTube or like, or was it just at the same time you were working on that album that you heard about same time? Same time. Like what happened was, um, uh, with extreme music, um, there was this agent at Paradigm and she was like, Hey, you should, um, you shouldn't, you should, uh, get with extreme and the slip was like wait a minute i'm already with extreme but she was like no you guys should do some kind of catalog and do some cool shit or whatever and um and the slip was like yeah because i don't really know the guy there and i make money from that from these cues from television mm -hmm. so we we're like all right cool so she hooked up the meeting for us while we were doing that meeting she um, one of her assistants was like you should meet my guy um jason and he was like, um, yo, um, yo, there's this thing, there's this thing project we're doing and this guy shooting this video and he needs some music for it and blah, blah, blah. We were like, okay. so he came to the house and then he started showing us stuff and we was like, what the fuck is this? And he started saying, oh yeah, this is YouTube influencers, blah, 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 whatever. And they're getting money for this. And we're like, what? <laughs> we were just... And then we just got really curious and went down the rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. and he was like, yo, you should meet them. We were like, for real? Like, all right. So we went. Mind you, so in my, so while we were doing that, we were reconnecting with um, Russell Emanuel at um, Extreme Music. Okay. But, but Russell wanted to do a deal with us, but we didn't really know what we wanted to do. So we were kind of thinking about it. Yeah. And we were at a point where it was like, what do we do? So it was like, you got TV and film, and then we had YouTube, and then we were like, we got this house, we make music, everybody wants to use music. It was like a really, like, this is all different than um, giving music to artists. Yeah. So we were kind of open, our minds open to the, the music industry, mm -hmm. not the record part of the industry. Yeah. So we yep. saw the industries inside of the music industry. So we were like, oh, okay. So we didn't really understand any of them. Mm -hmm. We didn't understand copyright infringement. We didn't understand all of that stuff. We didn't get it. And YouTube was still very new. So we were like, okay. So these guys are making money. They're flipping it. It's like, okay, let's, this is immediate. We're going to get the money right now. So that kind of distracted us. Yep. Uh, and then we had an engineer by the name of Rojo, called him Red Vision. He was the engineer. He was engineering all the stuff with Frank. So they'd just be in the studio and then we'll be running around, doing our meetings, come back, and then come check on it. I'm like, okay, make some music, do whatever, hang out. And then kind of like Nostalgia Ultra is going on at the same time. We're doing YouTube at the same time. And we're doing um, our regular music business stuff every day. And then there's this TV and film thing we're trying to figure it out. So it was like a transition time for us. We didn't know where it was really going, but that's where it went. And next thing you know, the YouTube stuff started to connect. Um, they started, all of the big guys started using music. Uh, we started figuring out what a royalty was with it. We worked that out. Um, even like ownership in, um, it was with Maker Studios at the time. If okay. It was Maker. They sold to a Disney for a billion dollars. So all of those guys in that world, those were our friends. These are the people we were hanging out with. Okay. These are the ones that we were doing these deals with and um, building those relationships with. Nice. Okay. So then you're in the, the, 
the maker mafia on top of the the midi <laughs> like so so basically at this point you and and swift are realizing that you know you can you can pitch your music to people that aren't record labels and artists and make more money faster at that point right with more certainty you're just Cosmo wants to do a deal. Here we go. Boom, 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 boom. You know. Yeah. Right. And we were doing the same thing. It was just that. It was just going somewhere else. It was kind of yeah. like, do I give it to Rihanna and don't know if it's going to come out? Or do I give it here and know it's coming out and get the money up front? And there's not a lot of bunch of bullshit attached to it. I don't got to pay legal fees and all this extra shit. It's, very, it's just an easy transaction. You show sure? yeah. Hey, you know what I mean? Yep. This you get that. Because we own it, we would still own it, so it was easy, you know. Yeah. So, so then, I mean, man, that's that's good. I mean, it's just like it's almost like in any other industry where you're like used to selling a product to one to one like group of people, and then you realize there's this whole other world out there of other people that want it that will do things that are make it easier for you as a creator, and it's like, oh, well, let's go do that, you know. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so then what happened with extreme? So I, I, we should probably talk about made, right? And yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what happened is while that was going on about, after about a year, Russell was like, what are we doing? And we were like, what do you think we should do? And then he was like, yo, I think you guys should, um, I think you guys should do a catalog, a music library catalog. And, um, Use your brand, use what you guys are building, and start servicing music in this space. And we still didn't really understand what he was saying, but he basically was like, yo, I'm going to take you guys under my wing. And he did a deal with us where we're have where we're owners. It wasn't like, yo, here's some money, and, and I'm going to show you how to do it, but you don't own anything at the end of the day. He was like, yeah. no, nah, you guys should own what you're doing, control it, and then... Um, and we were like, all right, cool. But it took us a long time to wrap our heads around what that business looks like. Yeah. So we just started taking all the music we already had that we weren't using and kind of really trying to figure it out. And then um, and then we, after another year, we signed the agreement with them. Okay. And we put in our first catalog. And, you know, we, we learned a lot from it. We learned that it's a lot of work. We learned that... Um, we had to figure out how to do it faster, how to scale, how to um, owning something means you're using all your money. <laughs> like, yep. <laughs> so we just started to figure it out, and then we made a lot of mistakes. Can you explain to what what extreme music is? You and I both know what it is, but I'm I'm realizing that we should talk a little bit about what this is, what this was, what extreme is, and what you guys were doing with the catalog. Well. Extreme is uh, the number one music library in the world. What music libraries do, or when you're watching TV and you hear that music in the background of those TV shows, that's library music. Because you can't, you can, if you want to use guys like Kanye West or you want to use Timbaland and those guys, you can, but it's so expensive and they only need maybe beats or, um, what we call cues, which are usually 30 seconds long. Yeah. They, they don't need like a three minute song. They need like 30 seconds of a yeah. song or of a beat or of yeah. a vocal or some kind of idea. Like a, like if you ever listen, you ever listen to Seinfeld, we hear the music at the beginning. Ding, 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 ding. Yep. Yep. 
we call that a sting. A sting, okay. Sting. So like those are cues, you know? So like um the idea was to put quality urban music in this world because it didn't exist. The closest thing to hip hop in this world is some German white guy making loops. And Hans. <laughs> yep. And actually Hans owns is the owner in extreme. Yep. Is with those guys. So yep. so Oh, I didn't even think about that. It's I was just I was just saying random German name like Hans or Franz, but you're talking Zimmer. Zimmer, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then we're working with and then and Russell at that time too, Russell introduced us to Hans Zimmer. That's awesome. We were like people were like you said with Hans Zimmer, we were like, Yeah, they were like, You said with Hans Zimmer. <laughs> Like, yeah, they were, we didn't know. Yeah, yeah. We didn't know. And then when you start the night, you're like, oh, shit, he did like my favorite movies. Yeah. Da, 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 <laughs> but then we were like, we want to do that. And then we learned, Russell was like, no, you don't want to do that. He was like, why? He said, because that's scoring. So we started yeah. to realize, like, wait a minute. So break it down to us. So music libraries are for TV and film, a lot of cues where um, music supervisors, you know, executives on in the music divisions of these studios and networks, they go to these libraries and they go, hey, I want to use this cue, $500, $250, really, really, really inexpensive. And we thought at the time, like, man, that's no money. But what we learned that it's not about that money. It's about the usage. Yep. It, it gets used so much that the publishing royalty is insane. Yep. So we like so we learned that real fast. Like, oh, this is not about that money. It's about how much it gets used. So the more quality you put in, the more they use. So Russell's mentality was like, oh, if we have credible quality music producers that are willing to do this and not, aren't worried about those fees, this is going to be very successful. Well, basically, you know the the difference between scoring and 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 that. So we learned that inside the TV and film space, that it's an industry inside of an industry. So we learned like music libraries is one thing. Scoring is another. Scoring is you're doing an entire movie, creating the whole backdrop, everything. And that's all, all you're doing. You can't do anything else because you can spend six months on something and then they can scrap it at the last minute. You get paid a lot of money, but you're whatever they want you to do, that's all you do. You can't do anything. You yeah. have these deadlines and whatever, whatever. He was like, you guys can't do that because you can't you can't have one foot in and one foot out. You have to be all the way in. Okay. Then we learned about the trailer business. That's a whole other world. Yep. Because then we can take music from the score. We can take music from the soundtrack and you trailerize it. Yep. And I'll get, like, if you ever saw the movie Us, like the new movie that just came out, Us, mm -hmm. did you see that, that movie? I haven't seen it yet, but I saw the trailer. When you it's go, when you when you watch the trailer and listen, and you and you watch the movie, listen for the song "I Got Five on It." Okay. They oh. trailerized that song. What? When you hear it, you'll totally get what I mean. Okay. So you'll get it. Like just just think about that and go watch it, and you'll be like, "Oh shit!" It'll just blow your mind. And it's things that people don't even know or even realize, but it drives everything. Yeah. So trailers is a whole nother world. Then there's theme songs. <laughs> the world. 
<laughs> yep. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. That's the song. Like if you look at the new Spider-Man, so the new Spider-Man movie with yes. um, the animation. Yeah, it's awesome. With Post Malone and um, mm-hmm. dude, it's like um, you hear that song all through the movie. It's the key song. Or if you think Fast and Furious with the Wiz Khalifa record with Yeah, See You Again. Those yeah. are those are key songs. Like those are that's the song that's driving the entire movie. Yeah. Or specific points in the movie. Mm-hmm. Usually have a beginning, a middle song, and an end. Okay. And they're yeah. usually songs by big artists like that, the Kanye West is the Rihanna is the Post. Yeah. And and usually the director chooses those records. Okay. So your A and R is the director. So if the director doesn't like it, it's not happening. Yeah, the director is is in charge of the show, right? That's exactly. So, yeah. so that's no different than pitching to a label executive. They have to like it, want to do it, and um, and if you look at the latest trend, like what happened with Black Panther, Kendrick Lamar did the whole entire thing. Yeah. And people are like, oh, that's dope, but it's actually cheaper. You know. Yeah, because instead of trying to get sync licenses from everybody. You know, you get, and he gets to be like, and and Kendrick gets to be like an auteur. You know, like he gets to really shape, shape the movie sound. Exactly, it's like you got this high level creative, and you got this director who's a high level creative, and they're talking and they're building, and then he can go make it. Yeah. The director just picking a song, and that's it. It's yeah. There's no clue. You know. Mm -hmm. So when we learned all of those things, we were like, oh, let's do the music libraries and just build up and we'll learn it. We'll get there. We'll figure it out because we can build a name for ourselves in the music library space. Yeah. And as you and then extreme is the best at it. So it's like this is the best way to get in. Yeah. Start at the top. All right. Let's take a quick break because I want to tell you about something that's very cool. So a few weeks ago at Royalty Exchange, we launched a new tool called Know Your Worth. And Know Your Worth is a free app for songwriters, producers, and artists that allow you to that allows you to get in advance in 90 seconds on your back catalog. And we have paid out more than a million dollars in advances since we launched this tool a few weeks ago, and it takes just 90 seconds. So if you want to check it out, go to worth.royaltyexchange.com. That's worth.royaltyexchange.com. It's completely free, and you can find out how much you get in advance in a minute and a half. Let's get back to the show. So so fast forward after like a year or two, we, we like I said, we made a lot of mistakes and things like that. And then one day... Um, you know, I think mixtapes at this time were getting really, really big. So um, sites like Dat Piff or um, mixtape dot mixtape I know but I would always be on there, download the new music, and listen, and boom, boom, boom. And I was like, yo, all of these guys putting up this dope music, but I noticed that a few weeks later, you'll see another project from them. Yeah. None of, these, none of these guys are making any money. So I was like, what if we were able to take the same music and then put it in the catalog? And just like I was sitting on these websites, let us sit in the catalog and then use for television and monetize it. Yeah. Maybe we could do a deal with these guys, do a deal with these guys that um, 
they won't care. We won't have to pay them. It'll be a real partnership because they already put the music out. It's not doing anything, but we can, it's, it's old to them, but it's new in this space. So let's do it. Yeah. And then it worked. So, so were you just hitting these guys up whose projects you liked and just said, Hey, you want to come into the library and we'll get you paid over time and be a, we started with people we knew. Okay. It wasn't like just random people we just called or anything. It was people we knew or okay. people who knew people or, or stuff like that. And, and you know, we got a lot of no's. Yeah. Because, again, a lot of people don't understand the space. So a lot of them just wanted money because that's just the easier way to justify things for them. Yeah. We wanted to do it with people who really want to be a part of it, not people just giving us their bullshit. Like, or people who um, we felt... If this goes well, they'll keep giving music versus mm-hmm. uh, certain other people you pay them and then that's it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you know what I mean? Like, that's that's it. It's a one-time transaction and we, we didn't want that. We was looking for people who really needed the opportunity and kind mm-hmm. of saw the value in it. Or if they didn't see the value in it, would be like, what I got to lose. Yeah. And then it worked. Okay. We found, a, we found about like three to four, maybe five guys, and it just worked. They started making money. Then when they made money, they were, they kept putting everything in it. So it connected. So we made a good decision. And then, so on top of me and Swift making music, we had that coming in. And then we started to learn a little bit more about how to streamline the process and, and build it and keep it lean, you know? And now we're, now it's going on four years, going on five, and we're, we're in right now like the number one urban music library. That's awesome. Man. It's really, really good. It's like, it's really, really cool. It's like, it's weird because it's like, you know, for the first two, three years, that's all I did. Yeah, I was just like, let me get this music and we figure this out. Let's turn this around. Let's turn this around. Let's turn this around. Let's turn this around. Now we kind of lay back a little bit because we have so much music and um, things are kind of flowing by themselves. And, and the people that we're choosing are the right partners, you know? Yeah. And um, and now I'm getting back into how to be creative in that space now because now we can make music from a luxury point of view versus a pressure like oh, I need more music because yeah. the demand is super high like they, it's always being used we do about like a hundred placements a day. That's awesome. That's how much music is used. So yeah. we were like, okay. So now it's more about getting creative and trying to do, I'm doing a little bit more business development, like trying different things, you know, because okay. now that the digital space is kind of matured, um, the master, like, what do you do with it? Because, you know, the TV film is all publishing and you need to, you know, control the master to do these deals. But we're not selling, we're not getting music streamed on Spotify or, or, or um, Apple Music or whatever. Yeah. It's happening organically. Like people, they you know they watch TV, they hit Shazam, and then boom, that's it, right? Yeah. But but other than that, like it's that's it. You know, it's like what if? How do we get that going on its own now? Because the music is quality. It's like literally real artists. You know, it's yeah. Not, it's not like some bullshit. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, exactly. So instead of. Uh regular like music for streaming services going into tv you guys are doing it the opposite way right it starts as tv library and then it's good so people want to listen to it so then you got to figure out how to satisfy that demand right 
we're, we're Britain. It's turned out to be more like now we're bridging the gap of okay. That's that stigma of music library music is not cool. Uh, okay. You know, like a, you know, now we're making it cool. So now it's like okay, let's figure it out. So we don't even look at it as library music. We just look at it as like yo music. Like it's just yeah. Like there's so much music being put out every day mm-hmm. that you have to sift through the bullshit, right? So um, you have to really be looking for something, right? So, yeah. um, so we, we're looking at it like, oh, we're let's just be a part of that conversation, mm-hmm. but but we want to do it effectively. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So what what else are you working on now? So because you've got made, you've got your stuff you're always gonna do, producing, making music, but is there anything else you're working on? Uh, well, currently, um, currently, um. I'm I'm the vice president of a music rights organization. We do neighboring rights. You know, um, neighboring rights is an untapped revenue stream that's vastly grown because of the digital age. So what is neighboring rights for a songwriter or for a producer? The best way to explain it is, you know how you get, you know, royalties for publishing when songs, mm-hmm. you, know, with, with, you know, songs on the radio and stuff like that or whatever. Well, neighboring rights is the royalty, is the name of the royalty that's generated on the master side. Mm. A lot of people don't know that the master generates performance royalty too. It's yeah. just that in the United States, it only you only get that royalty for digital radio, which is what we call non-interactive. So for example, a song was played on Sirius and then Pandora, and then that money has to be, there's royalties that comes with that mm-hmm. master side. Right, that's neighboring rights. But with publishing, when a song is played on regular radio, you get a royalty, and when a song is played digitally, you get a publishing royalty as well too. Yeah. Just in the U.S., they don't do a digital. They don't do a, a, a neighboring rights. There isn't a there isn't a neighboring rights for terrestrial radio. Only for yeah. digital. So like, so people get it mixed up with streaming, right? Like if you if you Sirius Pandora, those are DSPs too. Those are digital service providers as well. Mm-hmm. Then you have, um, then you have what they call, um, you have um, Apple Music. So on Apple Music, there's streaming, but then there's Beats One Radio. Yep. So neighboring rights is the, the royalty generated from Beats One Radio, not from streaming, from just listening to the regular, you know. Yeah. Uh, if you're listening to Spotify, you know, Spotify has um, user-generated radio, user-generated radio, so like Drake radio, mm-hmm. Liz Khalifa, where the computer is picking what you're playing, what, what you're listening to. That, that's non-interactive. And there's a royalty, that a performance royalty for playing that music. That's neighboring, okay. right? Okay, okay. That's how it is. Makes sense. So in another, in, in to make in some more clarity for you would be when a song's played on the radio and stuff like that, tr- tr- traditional, um, the money goes to what we call a PRO, which is to ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, and now GMR. Yep. So when a song is played on digital radio and stuff like that, it doesn't go there. It's a completely different revenue streams. It goes to sound exchange. Yep. 
that's how it's broken down. Makes sense. And we don't call in sound exchange. We don't call it a PRO. We call it a CMO. They're a collective management organization. Yep. So the way I got into it is maybe like while I'm doing while I'm doing all of this and stuff that I'm doing. Because again, while we're doing the catalog, we had to survive. I need to make money. I got a daughter, school, crazy shit, whatever. Yeah. Yep. Um, one while I was working with um sound royalties and consulting with them and stuff, I uh I I I, I did a panel. I met this guy by the name of Dennis Street, and he was he was like, Hey Bruce, you know, um at the agency that I work for, um, we're called um the Intellectual Property Fund. We we collect neighboring rights and stuff, but for the musicians and background vocalists. I was like, All right, cool. I said, That's kinda cool. I never heard of that before. Yeah. But he explained it to me and stuff like that. Then he turned around and was like, Yo, you know, we, we have an unclaimed list. And I think a lot of it are urban um, people. And I think you may know a lot of these people and we need your help. I was like, all right, cool. So I looked at it and immediately identified everyone I knew. Yeah, and yeah. then it was like, um, and it added up to about like 15 million in unclaimed. And after reaching out to everybody, it paid out, paid about $8 million. So you were like Bruce Wayne, Santa Claus, going around with just a giant bag of money to, to all the people that you knew. Like, <laughs> so next thing you know, and then you know they told me like, hey, Bruce, you know this is business. This could be a business for you. You know, um, you should become an agent here. I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. What does that entail? So again, just like Russell, <laughs> I yep. was just like, I was just listening and kind of like following it, and I was like, I guess this is what it is. Yeah. And then yeah. humble curiosity. You see something, you go, wait, how does that work? And then, yeah. And then next thing you know, we um, um, I, st- I became an agent, and then I, after a while, I started making money, just connecting people and uh, making it happen. And then after that, went into play. Um, Dennis Drake and the the COO, they started. They were they they left their positions. Um, they retired, and they were like, let's start up our own agency and let's represent the artist for real because they still don't really know about this. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I was like, so they asked me, do I want to come on and be vice president? And I was like, yeah. So I took the position. The cool thing is that here I am in the vice president of this organization and I'm, I'm the, I'm in music rights. Right. So that's kind of like a way of me, like paying it forward in a way, right. Educating, yeah. informing, advocating. And then here I am doing TV and film where it's like, I'm making the music but I'm actually providing opportunity for a lot of upcoming um, songwriters and producers who would never have the opportunity to get in TV and film. Yeah. Oh man, it's actually kind of cool. This is like the dream job, right? Like this is this is what you got to do. And then um, it was a good way for me to kind of like start figuring out my next moves. You know, like this, yeah. this is really cool. Um, it's hard to be, be creative in the space. But I'm starting to figure that. Well, one of the things that I think is really interesting about um, neighboring rights, at least in the U.S., is it's if you're an artist and you're unrecouped on your record deal, you're still getting paid from Sound Exchange on your neighboring rights. If you, they're trying to fold that into deals now, though. But they are. That's not gonna happen. Yeah. But you know, 
that's yeah, but you're right. But a lot of people aren't even collecting their um a lot of people aren't even collecting their name rights. They don't even know what it is. Or some people get a check and they don't really realize what the check's for. Yeah. They're kind of like um you know, just kind of winging it. Yeah. No, exactly. No one worries about sound exchange until they don't have any money. Mm-hmm. Then you find out because you have more time to focus on where the holes need to be plugged. Mm-hmm. And I'm not getting this. I'm not getting that. I can't make money here. So everybody starts to then they start worrying about it. Yeah. So. Yeah. No. It makes sense. Now everyone's starting to like really uh, figure it out. Yeah. You know? I mean, I know we've only got a few minutes left, but I mean, how like. How do you think the music business can do a better job um, making artists, producers, songwriters aware of all of the rights they have? Because it seems like it's a pretty common problem, right? You don't know or... It's like, it's like, it's kind of like, I look at it like parenting, right? It's like some parents, they take their kids to school. And then if the kids aren't moving in a certain way, they um, or they don't feel like they're getting, you know, the education they're supposed to get, they blame the school. I think. Okay. I think it comes down to. I think it comes down to as parents have to still do the job at home. Yeah. Like. Like you know, I think you know, it's about starting early. Like, like when I look at my daughter, her mom's. Her mother is very, very, very like a stickler with education. And the reason why she's a stickler with education because education changed her life. Education didn't actually change my life. You know what I'm saying? It was like yeah. I went to school, did what I needed to do, but that wasn't that wasn't as early on as a kid, that wasn't something that my family was like, this, this, blah, 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 blah. It was more like, um, go to school, do what you gotta do, get a job. My yep. family's Jamaican. Have 14 jobs. You know what I mean? Go get 14 jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Right? But, um, so I think the music industry is the same thing. It's like, you know, when you're building your team and, and you got people around you, you got to make sure that they're educated enough to provide you with the information that you need. And at the same time, too, just don't provide it to you. Like, provide it to the community. You know, like when we grew up, in, I grew up in New York. So literally I could go outside. Remember, there was no cell phones, none of that no. shit. No. Right. You leave the house. Nobody could find you or get in contact. <laughs> that was it. So yep. think about it. Like if I did something wrong, by the time I got home, my mother knew. <laughs> yeah. Because or if it was, yo, by seven o'clock, make sure you're home. When, when the lights go out, I want to at least see you before the before before the end of the day. If I was at home at seven, or I didn't call from a payphone to be like, "Yo, mom, I'm not gonna be there." There was nobody getting contact with me, and they knew something was wrong. Yeah, you had to check in. You had to check in. Yep. You just yep. had to. That's just what it is. All of us knew. Yo, oh, sun about to go down. The streetlights about to come on. I better I gotta, call. I gotta go yeah. home. I gotta. Yep. Oh, I gotta. You gotta. You gotta go in. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's the same thing. So what I mean by that, there was a community that everybody knew everybody and was like, yo, your son is over there. Yo, you know, who know this kid? Yep. I remember, I, I remember 
crazy story. Not this crazy story, but like I remember I got hit by a car playing baseball or something. I was doing something. I wasn't playing baseball. We was doing something. I got hit by a car. Okay. Yo, by the time I looked up, my brothers and sisters was right in front of me. <laughs> Did they teleport? Man, that's crazy. Yeah. But when I think about it, there are people that would be like, oh, that's so-and-so kid. That's twin from, I have a twin brother. Oh, yeah. that's so-and-so twin. Yo, he live on Hendrix. Yo, who live on Hendrix? And then go get yep. their family. Yep. And I'm, three, four blo- I'm three, four blocks away. Yeah. And, but it's spread just because it's a community. Everybody knows somebody who knew somebody. Yeah. And, and everybody, you know what I mean? Like it was everybody knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody. And everybody knew that if something went wrong, especially when it came to the kids, the, the parents knew somebody was always looking out. If some yeah. kid, if I did anything crazy, the neighbor could beat my ass. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And my mother won't be like, why you hit my kid? They'll be yeah. like, hit, hit him again. <laughs> Good for your fucking ass. What were you doing? Yep. If I stole something from the bodega, the bodega knew my mother. Yeah. So it made no sense yeah. for me to steal. They'd be like, yo, I got fucking know your mother. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just call her and you're going to be in trouble. This is going to be worse. Exactly. Like, yeah. I would steal shit from the store and then my mother would come home and be like, yo, why did I have to give him $3? What did you take from the store? <laughs> I'd be like, fuck. We were stupid. Yeah. You didn't know. Your kids tried to figure it out. Push the limits. But yeah. the music industry needs to move the same way. It's kind of like if there's one manager coming up and there's another manager who knows, that older manager should be like, yo, you got this straight, that straight, this straight, that straight. Yeah. Oh, you don't know about that? Yo, silk me. Let me put you on. Yeah. Right? Everything doesn't always have to be a money transaction. Yeah. Because then now that transaction of giving you information is worth way more money than anything. Yeah. So you need now, you never know when you may need his artist on something. Yep. But then sometimes it gets a little clicky. Only certain people work with certain people, this and that, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't really move like that. So I don't think we depend on the music industry. Like when you say the music industry, what does that mean? Yeah. It's, it's, it's really just a bunch of parents. Yeah. Going, yeah. Into, going into different systems. Yep. Trying to get the those sisters supposed to give you just they give you the basics of what you need. Here's the money. Yep. Here's the you do this, you get this, that, that, blah, blah, blah. It's not really technically their job to be like, is your publishing set up? Is this set up? Blah, 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 yeah. whatever, whatever. They may mention it, they may yeah. say it, but that's not their job. That's not the, really their job. It's kind of yeah. like parents gotta really, and the parents in the situation are the business managers, the lawyers. The managers, yeah. the um, the um, societies like ASCAP, BMI, yo, like marketing is is so easy now. You could do paid ads on your socials. There's yeah. so many yeah. things that you can do. ASCAP could be doing that, but ASCAP is doing it in a different way. They have their expo every year. They yeah. provide this. They have to charge because they gotta pay people to make things happen. But that's investing in yourself. Yeah. So. BMI, you know, they have awards. But again, these are like our parents. Yeah. And we don't really learn about shit until shit's fucked up. Yep. And then when you think about the people that are really successful, they got really good parents. They have yep. they have really good parenting skills. Yeah. That are really setting them up. You know, like as a parent, I'm like, oh, I make sure my kid got a trust fund. They got money set up when they go to school. They got this, that. The insurance, blah, blah. I got all of that set up for my kid. Yep. 
that's, that world doesn't work in the music industry. Everybody's kind of like, what is that? What's this? I don't know about that. Just like It's very fragmented and you can't call anybody. You got to like kind of learn as you go. And often make a lot of expensive mistakes. And, and, and that's not necessarily, I'm not saying it like it's a bad thing. I'm yeah. just saying like a lot of us come from the streets. We don't have that. So we're figuring it out as we're going. That's that's the beauty of hip hop, right? Yes. It's like you can take nothing and turn it into something. But these are, this is part of the process. You're going to fuck up a little to yeah. gain. But there's no one mentoring you through. And if yeah. they are, you got to pay for it in something. Pay for it with a little bit of your soul. Pay for it with a little of commissions. Pay with it a little bit of whatever. And that's cool. But there's no uncles. Yeah. There's no uncles really like that. There's no aunties. Yeah. None of that. And the ones who do have uncles and aunties, they're, they're already connected. Yep. So the, the information is there, but now more than ever, it's the best time for it because we're all actually learning together. It's a whole new landscape. Yep. No one can talk to you about CDs, fucking none of this shit. No one can bring up anything old. Everything right now is new. Yep. Everything. How you market, how you move, everything is new. So it's the perfect time to kind of shed a lot of the bullshit and really, really, really set up, set everybody up to win for the future. Oh, man. Yeah. No, that is... It's a perfect time for any of those things. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, you're, you're the quintessential example of that. You started writing music for artists, pitching them, moving to California in TV and film. Now you're in rights management. And I mean, I can't wait to see what you do next, man. I mean, you know, a lot of friends, a lot of friends are telling me like, hey, Bruce, you need to start sharing and, and putting that information out there. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And they're like, you need to do it now. I'm like, nah, I have like, you know, the, what we're doing is we're building a portal right now. So yeah. portal, we're partnered up with uh, Music Reports. Great. First of all, the Neighboring Rights Agency, we're called um, Transparents Entertainment Group. And I'm a client. Midi Mafia is a client of it, you know? Yeah. And stuff like that. And then Transparents is going to eventually help out with the TV and film stuff and collections. and But all the artists that are working with us. But I'm getting the infrastructure together. Because the yeah. worst thing you can do is provide information and then have no have nowhere for anyone to go. Yeah. That that's bad because now I'm just a guy just talking shit. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yo, Bruce said this, that, and that, but where the fuck do I go? <laughs> There's nowhere to go, you know. So, yeah. so long story short, um, I will start sharing the information and having this interview with you is is, is part of that process and yeah. and blah 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 whatever whatever. Yeah. So it's so it's Bruce Wayne at Transparence. If you're not collecting your neighboring rights. Talk to Bruce. How do people get in touch with you if they want to get in touch? Um, they can hit me. I could be emailed. But I always tell people hit me on my IG. It's way okay. easier. Like that's uh, I guess you put up on the screen. The yeah. Bruce Wayne. I have I'm, I have the blue check. I'm official. So oh, oh, I didn't even I didn't know that. It won't be hard to like find me. Yeah. The Bruce W A Y N N E. Okay. And um. That's it, you know. Like, yeah, we'll put it in the show notes too for everybody, so they can hit you up on IG. Definitely, and you know what? I love what you guys are doing, man. Like, um, the the style of how you guys are doing your advances and everything—it's oh, really, really cool. You know, um, I would recommend this to anybody. You know, so 
I love I love what you guys are doing. I mean, there's there's a couple out there that's kind of doing what you're doing. Oh yeah. Some of them are good in their own right, and um, I would refer to those people as well too. But you guys are right now at the top of my list. Well, that's awesome. I'm not saying that because of the interview. No, I appreciate it. I mean, we're trying. If it, hey, if there's anything we could do to make it better, you tell me. Yeah. Hey, man, you know, the fact that you guys have an investor pool and, you know, things are more private now and you are putting, you know, you're putting, people's, putting people in positions to win. The transaction is straightforward. It's not convoluted in any way. Yeah. No, I mean, I think the way the way we think about it and you philosophically, I, I imagine, think the same way. But it's like, how do you build a, a bigger future? Right. And how do you do it the right way? You're right. Yeah. Bruce, man, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I know you gotta. I know you gotta run. When I do my podcast, yeah. you gotta come. Yeah, figure it out. We're in. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Big Break. To learn more about Transparent's Entertainment Group and Bruce's other projects, check out the show notes at royaltyexchange.com/podcast. And I gotta tell you, you have to tune in next week when I'll be talking with Frankie Storm who's written hits for artists like Rihanna, Demi Lovato, Britney Spears, and more. And this is Frankie's second interview that she's ever done in her 15-year career in the music business. There's some really great stuff. You can find past episodes, interview transcripts, and more at the show notes that you can find at royaltyexchange.com podcast. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.